Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello! If you're hearing this, that means you get the internet. And if you get the internet, that means you can watch the live stream of the live show that we just did recently. We did a half the Noose Olympian, half Potterless live stream live in North Carolina, and it was an absolute blast for TNO. We did the first two chapters of the first book in the Heroes of Olympus series. And for Potterless, we did an improvised Big Brother format where we put a bunch of Harry Potter pets in a battle to see which magical pet would reign supreme. The video has gorgeous visuals and crisp audio, and it's a multi-cam set so it feels very dynamic, like you were there. You can watch that stream until March 17th at 11.59 p.m., and you can get tickets at my website, shubes, S-C-H-U-B dot E-S slash tour. Again, that is S-C-H-U-B dot E-S slash tour to watch the replay of the Half Potterless, Half the New Olympian live show that we did recently. I hope you enjoy it. Of Arachne? Arachne? Arachne or Arachne, and you can also just be like, apologies for what I do for every time I say a word. I'm like, sorry if I don't know. I'm not Greek. What's good? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a grown man who never read the Percy Jackson series as a kid. I'm now reading it as an adult. I'm on a quest to determine if Percy Jackson and the Olympians is the YA series that we've all been sleeping on. And I'm not on this quest alone. I am joined in person in the studio by the creator and host of Breakfast in Beauclair, the executive producer of Lengthy Tangent, the researcher for Modern Muckraker, and a longtime friend of mine, Alyssa Esteban. Alyssa, how's it going? Hey! It's going well. How are you, Shoops? I'm doing very well. You were on an interesting journey with Percy Jackson in that you had not read it before I started the show. And then you were like, oh, maybe I'll read it. And then you devoured all of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit backwards. But my sister is about five years younger than me. So when she was reading them as a middle schooler, I got my hands on them as a high schooler. So I was a little bit out of the age range for Percy Jackson. But I got to read the first five books, the Percy Jackson series then. Didn't really touch them, thought about them, you know, a little bit here and there. But it wasn't until, you know, you started The Newest Olympian that between episodes one and three of mm-hmm. The Newest Olympian, I finished all five Percy Jackson books and all five years of Olympus books. So <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> so for everybody on Twitter and Instagram and social who was just like, oh, my God, I like don't know how I can slow down and read With the podcast, I see you and I feel you. Um, And I'm one of you. So (laughs) I'm glad they're feeling seen, they're represented, and also they can rest assured knowing that you're a big old nerd and you are very prepared. You've brought an iPad's worth of research to this episode. We're doing the best job here to cover chapter 16 of The Lightning Thief, which is called We Take a Zebra to Vegas, which I just wrote in my notes. Of course they do. (laughs) Of course. There's nothing that would surprise me now for a chapter title in Percy Jackson. Mm -hmm. And it's delightful, as we can expect every chapter title to be. It truly is delightful. So where we last left our heroes, they had defeated Hephaestus's trap and they wanted to go confront Ares and Percy is leading this charge of wanting to confront him. And it's very easy to do so because right at the start of the chapter, they see Ares in the parking lot and Percy comes up and confronts him. Ares says a line that I don't vibe with. I'm not enjoying Ares at all. He says, quote, uh-huh. bet that crippled blacksmith was surprised when he netted a couple of stupid kids. You looked good on TV. I don't yeah. like it. I talked about this in the last episode where I feel like there's a better word choice than crippled here. It just, ah, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, the Greek gods are so convoluted in their relationships Mm -hmm. and the way that they talk about each other, the way they speak to each other, the way that their relationships have formed over millennia is just disastrous. And I can't imagine being like, Percy or any half-blood stepping into millennia worth of, like, family troubles and being like, ah, how do I navigate this? Mm. Uh, And Percy goes about it with uh, grace. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, he certainly takes an approach. He uh, tries. <laughs> he does his darndest. So Ares takes the shield and he tosses it into the air like a pizza. And then it changes form into a bulletproof vest, very on brand for this biker Ares we've come to know. And he points to a truck in the parking lot and says that that is their ride to Los Angeles. It only has one stop in Vegas. And I was very excited when they said Vegas. Obviously, I knew this was probably going to come up when I read the chapter title. But in an earlier episode, I said that I was confused as to why the descent into hell was in Los Angeles, the city mm-hmm. of Angels. It feels like Vegas Sin City makes more sense as a very thematic place for Hades to be. But I'm glad they are at least going to Vegas. That's fun. I was not expecting what actually happens here, which is uh, very interesting and also confusing. (laughs) So the truck is a big old 18-wheeler and it has a sign on the back. And Percy says that he can only read it because it was reverse painted white on black, which Percy notes is a good combination for dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that's a thing, but I'm glad that night vision mode is becoming more of a thing on phones. And I guess not night vision. That would be like Karina Black. (laughs) Yeah, dark. Yeah, dark dark mode, mode, (laughs) night shift, whatever. So dark mode, as I am currently reading this off my notes on my computer, I use dark mode for everything. So that's pretty cool. If that is true, Mm -hmm. nice that that's becoming just more of a thing in the world just to make people's lives easier. So I'm a graphic designer by trade and also a product designer. And so they do happen to make a number of different fonts specifically for dyslexia. So it's cool, though, to see other ways we could make design accessible, not just with specific fonts, but also with color combinations, which is cool. It's nice that Rick Riordan actually considered that because I think his son has dyslexia, right? Yes. I know that was the inspiration for Percy having ADHD and dyslexia. And I've also heard of fonts that work well for dyslexia. I know everyone likes to make fun of it, but apparently Comic Sans is really good for that. It is very clear, all of the letters, whatever it is with the shape, and it's not as confusing. So as much grief as you want to give Comic Sans, do not do it. Direct all your grief towards Papyrus, the worst (laughs) font that exists. (laughs) That is the true villain. Not Comic Sans. <laughs> so this truck has big letters printed on it that says Kindness International Humane Zoo Transport. And then it also says, warning, live wild animals. As if that wasn't already clear by zoo yeah. transport, but okay. <laughs> so Aries snaps his fingers and the back of the truck unlocks. And then he also gives Percy a backpack full of fresh clothes, $20, a pouch of golden drachmas, and a bag of double stuff Oreos. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit of kindness for the road. I would not turn down Double Stuff Oreos, even if it was from a god that I hated. Yeah, (laughs) that's one of those gifts where you begrudgingly just accept it. Go, I'm going to put pettiness aside and I will accept your gift of tasty treats. Yeah, but I think he also could have given them more than 20 bucks. Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder, it just said a pouch of drachmas. I wonder how many were in there because I guess along their journey, they're getting more use out of those It's more important for them to have drachmas than it is for them to have dollars. But yeah, $20 did seem like not a lot (laughs) for three kids on their own. I guess he's thinking they don't need to buy transportation anymore. Or he's just thinking, I'm Aries. I'm kind of a jerk. And he just gave him 20 bucks. Now, Percy says, quote, I don't want your lousy. And then Grover steps in and goes, thank you, Lord Aries. Just giving him this look of just accept the gift and stop being Percy. I like that Annabeth and Grover are kind of reining in his anger and his ill will towards Mm-hmm. Aries. Yeah, I feel like you always need friends that are going to know when to like build you up and support you mm-hmm. and to also know when to support you and keep you quiet. <laughs> exactly. You need those friends who are going to be that check for you. You need those friends who can let you be you when it's appropriate, but also know when to rein it in. And I have those friends and I appreciate those friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kelly oh, yeah. does that a lot for me. <laughs> there are certain times where being upset at someone in New York City is warranted. There's other times where I don't need to yell at a car on the street because they can't hear me. So <laughs> (laughs) It's just not going to do anything good. Yeah, pick your battles. Pick your battles. And Grover is telling him the same. Exactly. So Percy knows that it is Ares' power that is making him so enraged every time he's around him. But... Percy is also just extra upset at Ares because Ares reminds Percy of every single bully that he's ever had. So the combination of the two is just a recipe for rage for Mm -hmm. Percy. The waitress from the diner, though, they see her through the window and they see her get the cook. And then the cook has a camera out and takes a picture of them in the parking lot. So Percy thinks, oh, great, that's going to be in the newspaper again. So not an ideal situation for trying to keep low key, especially because now Percy is being actively watched by the gods, but also 
actively watched by the mortal police. Mm -hmm. So he's just a fugitive on both ends of the spectrum. And it's just uh, it's just a whole lot of fun for Percy on this journey. Yeah. It's also so what, like 2004, 2005, that Mm -hmm. the fry cook has to like take out this camera. Mm -hmm. Who knows where they're keeping it in a diner and actually goes through the action of like click. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yes. Certainly one of those. 2005, I definitely had like a little Canon point and shoot digital camera thing. Oh, no. For we sure. were definitely in like seventh or eighth grade, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we graduated in 06. Oh, for everyone listening, Alyssa and I went to K through eight school together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time he had spoken about going to Catholic school in New Jersey and Potterless and here, imagine a small Asian girl also there. And that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Every step of the way, as I've bragged multiple times, we're the only people who spelled face right in kindergarten, which I will have until the day I die. I was chatting with some people when I was in Phoenix, and we were just talking about, like, stuff. And I have two scars on my knees. Oh. That are from you. (laughs) Oh, from me? What what was it, like, Foursquare or something? Yes. Uh. I didn't know if you remember that, but I was like, oh, my God, I completely forgot about that until we were talking about it in Arizona. And there's this one time that our grade dominated the four-square courts for years. Where it got banned for a while because it was so intense. Because our grade, we got in so much trouble because we didn't let other grades play either. Right. Was this, it was sixth grade, right? It was sixth grade, ah. yeah. So I think you were in like the king spot or the, four, mm-hmm, the, the number fourth four spot. spot. And I had my back to the court and I was talking to Nicole Prino. <gasps> yeah. And... I think you jumped up to spike the ball and fell straight onto my back. And I just hit my knees on the pavement and like in all the grass. And I was looking at this. I was like, oh, yeah, those are from Mike Schubert. (laughs) One, I'm so terribly sorry. I (laughs) hope they're not bad. If anything, cool story. They faded surprisingly. (laughs) I was looking at them the other day. I was like, oh, yeah. Cooler than my scars, which have all come from Ikea pots, (laughs) (laughs) from them getting too hot when uh, I was cooking alone in my apartment in Seattle (laughs) and trying to save it from setting off the fire alarm. It's okay. They'll go away eventually. But I'm glad to know that it was an accidental thing and not me because I did take Foursquare incredibly seriously. Yeah, we all did. We all did. (laughs) It was a culture. It was a lifestyle. (laughs) It was, God, it was so intense. (laughs) If anyone is unaware with Foursquare, it is a playground game where you have four squares drawn with chalk and you play with like a dodgeball ball, like one of those rubber bouncy balls. And then there's certain rules about you can basically like hit it once up into the air and then hit it a second time. It's basically like volleyball without a net. It's like volleyball and tennis. Yeah, Together. with like a little bit of ping pong. Yeah. And then if the ball bounces in your square, twice. you have to hit it. It can't bounce twice. Like if it bounces in and then bounces again, you're allowed to like leave your square to get it, but it can't hit the ground a second time. If it hits the line, you and the other person both can go for it. You can't like throw the ball. You have to like smack it. You can't like palm it or anything like that. And yeah, whatever it was, our grade just took it super intensely. Was it people in our grade that started the petition to make us not do it? Oh, it definitely wasn't. I'd imagine it was people either above us or below us. Oh, oh, it was a different grade. I think. Because we didn't let anybody else onto the courts. Well, because we were better than everyone, too. So, like, it was like a winner's state (laughs) thing. If you lose, you go out. If you win, you go up to the next square. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I feel like the fifth graders, like, wrote a petition to ban it. And I feel like they didn't get it. There was a point in time where we weren't allowed to play for, like, a month. Like, our school Mm -hmm. was like, you have to cool it for a a short period of time. God. Okay. I'm sorry for giving you scars. (laughs) I'm glad it was not me. Like, I'm glad you weren't, like, actively playing and I, like, knocked you over (laughs) to get a ball or something. At least it was... (laughs) The heat of the moment, but I didn't see you there. But again, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't even see you coming, too, so I couldn't have moved out of the way. Yeah, gosh. Okay. Clearly, we are equally at fault here. (laughs) Yes. So now I have souvenirs of our friendship. (laughs) Oh, my God. Amazing. (laughs) So... Percy says that Ares still owes him information about his mom, and Ares says, oh, okay, well, she's not dead. And I figured this was the case. Percy asks, what do you mean? And this is what Ares says, quote, I mean, she was taken away from the Minotaur before she could die. She was turned into a shower of gold, right? That's metamorphosis, not death. She's being kept. (laughs) You know, for someone who says you've never listened to the audiobooks, (laughs) that was basically what the audiobook (laughs) sounds like for Aries. Oh, that's so good. I listened to the audiobooks for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. They're not bad. Heroes okay. of Olympus, they get a little dicey mm. because the audiobook narrator definitely knows Stephen Fryer, Peter Kenny, but what he does, his secondary default accent is Southern American. Oh. So at times where it's not really justified or appropriate, characters just have 
southern accents. And there was a character that explicitly, I think, was written as either having a foreign accent or specifically a British one. And halfway through the scene, it just becomes southern inexplicably. And I was listening to it and I was like, oh, no. That's unfortunate. (laughs) But yeah, your impression of this audiobook narrator as Aries was spot on. (laughs) Good. I'm completely (laughs) accidental, but I'm glad I nailed it. I just feel like he is a guy who thinks he talks very cool. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So Percy asks why she's being kept, and Aries says it's a part of war, a very common thing. Hostages. You take a hostage in order to control someone. And when Percy says, I'm not being controlled, Aries laughs and then Mm -hmm. just starts to leave, which is a great power move, a great bully move, and exactly achieves what he is doing, which is trying to get Percy upset. Percy says, quote, you're pretty smug, Lord Ares, for a guy who runs from Cupid statues. And then Ares gets very intense. His fire eyes get brighter. And he says, we'll meet again, Percy Jackson. Next time you're in a fight, watch your back. (laughs) Oh, man. It does feel like such like a 12-year-old insult. Because Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's just like, why are you getting worked up about this? Like on both sides. I know that Aries does this to people, so Percy probably can't really help it. But for Aries, it's like, this is a 12-year-old. Like, (laughs) like, why are you getting so upset? Yeah, the other thing that's funny is, it's funny that Percy, what he points out here is that, oh, he's afraid of the statues. Those statues were terrifying. Like, I feel like like it has to be horror movie rules where if something looks innocent and then it turns out to be evil, it's way scarier. So the fact that these innocent-looking Cupid statues move and actually shoot arrows, that makes them way more terrifying than a scary statue. So Mm -hmm. I feel like Aries, is perfectly justified in being afraid of these things and he knew it was a trap so i don't know i think it's fine but i do like that percy tries to throw as you said 12 year old insults at aries Annabeth says that having Ares on your bad side is a bad idea. Percy does not care. And grover points out that the zoo people are leaving the diner so they should get on the truck and percy as the narrator says quote i didn't like it but we had no better option besides i'd seen enough of denver Shots fired at Denver. <laughs> what was wrong with Denver? They went to a diner. They could have gotten Denver omelets, which I'm sure were delicious. My mm-hmm. favorite type of omelet. I guess the water park was in Denver, but that's not Denver's yeah. fault. Like no. That's Aries and Hephaestus's fault. It's basically like going somewhere and being like, the airport sucks, so therefore the city must suck. <laughs> and you and I are both from New Jersey, and I think that happens with Newark, is that oh. Newark can be a frustrating airport, and people think that the entire state is bad, and I would like to let everyone know that Newark is actually not part of New Jersey, when you look at a map and there's a dot for Newark that's actually a state boundary. Uh, it's a separate area that is not part of our state. Do not associate us with it. I love Newark Airport. It's gotten a lot better. Because, well, I fly United and it has a United hub. Yes. So they have poured a lot of money into Newark's United Terminal, and mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. That is the key with New York airports is that you have to pick it based on airline. So if you're ever flying, United into Newark is great. Mm-hmm. Delta into LaGuardia is great. And then anything out of JFK is going to be fine and about the same. Like your JetBlues of the world are pretty good out of JFK. But the thing is, yes, Delta has put a lot of money into LaGuardia. Mm-hmm. United has put a lot of money into Newark. So they get the best stuff and have the fewest delays and all kinds of stuff like that. I think the biggest thing that happens with Newark is that Newark, the city, is gross looking. Like no matter what the weather is, it's always gray in Newark. And that yeah. could be the sequel to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> which is just about people like having terrible times at the airport. But I feel like people land in Newark, they leave it, and then they think, this is New Jersey, because then they're just going into New York. And that is not New Jersey. We grew up in a very lovely little suburb town in central New Jersey with lush trees and bountiful harvests of Italian restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. We, (laughs) it's just hilarious to me because, like, I have a lot of Italian-American mannerisms. Oh, same. Yes. That. And again, I am a small Asian woman and I just don't know what to do with them, but they are me now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we grew up, as I've said many times on many of my podcasts, we grew up in a very Italian part of New Jersey (laughs) and all of our friends had last names that ended in O's. Yeah. (laughs) Your Pacifico, de Blasio, all that. Chirello. Chirello. Uh, uh, I said de Blasio. Did we actually know de Blasio? Yeah, Victoria de Blasio. Right, but she's not related to Bill, right? Not that I'm aware of. (laughs) There's just lots of those names. And yes, I I am 0% Italian, but if you tie my hands behind my back, I could not speak. No, the wind here (laughs) in the studio is just off the walls because of all the aggressive hand gestures (laughs) that Mike and I are doing right now. 
we're keeping it cool in here. <laughs> I have to take off if I'm wearing a watch or my class ring. I have to take it off before I record because I will either be gesticulating so wildly that you can hear it moving around or <laughs> like I'll hit my ring into my wedding ring or yeah. the microphone or whatever. Uh, yes, <laughs> if we should have had a video episode for this podcast or at least just some sort of like maybe we could have worn a Fitbit and then it would be like you walked 100 miles while recording this episode just based yes. on your arm movement. <laughs> well, this is basically for ninja behind the scenes <laughs> <laughs> oh what a throwback my goodness so percy uncaps anaclusmos because anaclusmos gives off this faint light and when the sword is open he can see it's just a sad scene of the animals back there there's a bunch of animals in cages there's a zebra there is a male albino lion and then quote some weird antelope thing that i didn't know the name of my guess here is he talking about a no copy i have no idea because the entire section he just keeps calling it the antelope right so who knows? <laughs> I hope it's the Okapi. I have a very soft spot for them. I think they are very cool. They mm -hmm. look like the hybrid of a zebra and a giraffe and an antelope. They're very fun. So in my head canon, the weird antelope thing is an Okapi. I dig it. Grover is flummoxed that this is supposed to be kindness. This is supposed to be humane zoo transport. And Percy notes that Grover would probably have left the truck to beat up the drivers with his reed pipes. And Percy notes, I would have helped, but the truck started moving, so they have to stay put. Grover starts to talk to the animals and Percy starts to sort out the mismatched food that was given to them. There was meat given to the herbivore animals, there were vegetables given to the carnivore lions, so he is able to give them their right stuff, which is nice, and the truck moves along, but then when they stop for the night, spirits are pretty low, but Percy is happy because they're halfway to LA and it's only June 14th, so they've got one week to get to where they need to be before the solstice. Annabeth apologizes to Percy for freaking out in the pool with all of the spiders. She blames it on the spiders. She has arachnophobia, which is completely valid and warranted. Even mm -hmm. if you weren't afraid of spiders, those things were just terrifying enough as it is where if you didn't have a problem with spiders, having a problem with hundreds, if not thousands of metallic spiders attacking yep. you, you do not have to apologize, Annabeth. That is completely okay. I know. I feel like here she just feels like the child of Ron and Hermione. She's super smart and is just terrified of spiders. Yeah. I was able to look up the mythology around Arachne, the reason for why um, I'm so self-conscious of my hands all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> they look great. It's wonderful. Thank it helps. It helps with the emotion of the podcast. Yeah. And why Annabeth is so scared of them. So... Ariacne, this is all from Britannica Encyclopedia online, so thank you to them. Ariacne was a weaver who acquired such skill in her art that she ventured to challenge Athena, goddess of war, handicraft, and practical reason, which just sounds like a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Apparently, she thought she was so good at weaving that she was just as good as the gods which can only end poorly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's usually we associate hubris with the gods, but that is some human hubris right there. <laughs> yeah. So apparently Athena wove a tapestry depicting the gods in majesty, while Arachne showed uh, some of their more uh, dicey adventures. Mm. Uh, and so either Athena was enraged by how good the work was or just offended by what it depicted. Hey, this is Mike from the future here with a content warning. This Greek myth deals with self-harm. So if you don't want to hear about that, I would say just skip ahead about 10, 15 seconds. And so she tore it to pieces and Arachne uh, hung herself in oh, despair. Uh. So the goddess, apparently out of pity, loosened the rope, which became a cobweb. Arachne was changed into a spider, which is where all of that comes from. Okay. Which is a little bit grim. Mm -hmm. So the story, that mythology centered around the origin of spiders, but also a warning about your vanity toward the gods. Okay, so, there yeah. you go. Certainly a more intense version than what Annabeth relays. <laughs> right. She just glazes over the fine details. Still scared? You got it? Cool. <laughs> yeah, she hits the key points. Spiders? Scary. I don't like them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Percy recognizes that it's the Arachne story. However you pronounce this to the Greek listeners, apologies. We are trying our best. Percy remembers from the story that Arachne was turned into a spider after challenging Athena to a weaving contest. Annabeth nods and says that Arachne's children ever since have been trying to take revenge on the children of Athena. So that is the... Uh, YA or middle grade, I've learned, is the technical correct term for the Percy Jackson series. So I get it. I feel like Y is just the more socially zeitgeisty word. But yeah. technically, because of the age range, it is middle grade. That's the middle grade version of 
the story that you just told us. <laughs> yeah. And I think definitely much more appropriate for not just the age range, but also for the content of what Percy and Annabeth know and what they're talking about at totally. the actual age that they'd be. So. Yeah. It also could be something where what Percy has been told in his classes is a less intense version and what Annabeth has been told is also a less intense version. Or maybe it's just a kid's book and we don't need to. Yeah, I would not be so surprised intense. if Annabeth knew all of the details <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just was saving Percy from that as well. For sure. So Annabeth says that she owes Percy and Percy says we're a team and then gives credit to Grover for saving their butts. And they thought that Grover was asleep, but Grover then mumbles, I was pretty amazing, wasn't I? Which is great. I love them. I love all of them. They're so mm -hmm. perfect. They're such a great team. I like that Percy immediately throws out the notion of Annabeth owing him. Just, yeah. no, we're a team. We help each other out. We don't have to keep track of who owes who or whom owes whom. I don't know. I'll never know. <laughs> I will never know. <laughs> Annabeth then later on asks Percy if Luke really said nothing when he was IMing. And Percy says that Luke told him that he and Annabeth go way back and that Grover wouldn't fail this time and no one would turn into a pine tree. So now because Percy has relayed this, Grover realizes Percy knows the truth. So Grover apologizes and says, I should have been honest with you from the jump. I just thought that if you knew what a failure I was, you wouldn't want me to be along for the quest, which is very understandable and honest and sad, yeah. but Percy at this point then puts it all together that Grover was the satyr that tried to save Talia or Thalia. I don't know how to pronounce that either. Mm -hmm. And Annabeth and Luke were the other two half-bloods that she befriended and got to camp safely, which I didn't put together until he said this here, but totally makes sense. Yeah. It definitely obviously changes the dynamic between Annabeth and Luke and between Grover and Luke and Annabeth that they've known each other for, what, the last seven, eight, nine years mm -hmm. while they've all been at camp together. But they have this history, which Percy kind of inferred from seeing Annabeth and Luke together. I mean, it's so heartbreaking on all fronts because we already know that Grover ages at like half the rate of humans. And yeah, it's just one of those things that like they were so much younger then and like could they have done anything? Probably not. Like, no, if not they were up against the gods, like, what are you going to do? Right. And that is, thankfully, the approach that Annabeth and Percy take. They don't want him to take guilt, take responsibility. They all did their best, and it's a ridiculously hard task that they were tasked with. Mm -hmm. So Annabeth confirms and reveals that Talia and Luke were also runaways. They traveled north from Virginia. Eventually, Annabeth met up with them, and they all went together, and they were fending off monsters for two weeks before Grover found them. And then we get a really heartfelt quote from Grover where he says, quote, I was supposed to escort Talia to camp, only Talia. I had strict orders from Chiron, don't do anything that would slow down the rescue. We knew Hades was after her sea, but I couldn't just leave Luke and Annabeth by themselves. I thought, I thought I could lead all three of them to safety. It was my fault the kindly ones caught up with us. I froze. I got scared on the way back to camp and took some wrong turns. If I had just been a little quicker and Annabeth jumps in and tells Grover to stop blaming himself because it's not his fault. And no one blames him, so he shouldn't blame himself. Mm -hmm. So touching moment from Grover. And again, another great friend moment from Annabeth. She's a very good friend. Yeah. Yeah, they're both super reliable, which kind of makes you think about, like, the prophecy that was in the beginning about, like, being betrayed by a friend. It's mm -hmm. like these two people just seem so solid. So... Yeah. Yikes. The, that, yeah. that element of the prophecy, as I've been musing in this chapter in the previous two, ever since Sally as ghost water messenger form told Percy to not trust the gifts, I have become a little wary of Luke and Chiron. And okay. I'm thinking maybe one of those two could be the friend that betrays them because mm -hmm. it is very hard to see it being Annabeth or Grover here unless the betrayal is not anything super severe. But just because of how well they have worked together as a team and even when things go wrong and people make mistakes they don't get upset at each other percy easily mm -hmm. could have been upset at grover and annabeth for leaving him on the observation deck or they could get upset at grover for not sniffing out the monsters better or right. annabeth could get mad at percy for grabbing the shield without waiting like there's so many different things where they could have butted heads and they haven't that I really just don't see some sort of argument mm -hmm. leading to them being upset. So the gift thing was the first thing. And now thinking of the prophecy, I don't like it, but I don't trust Luke. I yeah. don't know. Man. I just don't. I just don't see Annabeth or Grover 
betraying Percy, they just seem too good. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there's so much that we learn here as well. Like, this is the first time we're really hearing more about Annabeth's home life. Mm-hmm. Have we gotten to that yet? Not quite. You no, know, we'll get um, there in a bit, yeah. Yeah, but we learn a little bit about Annabeth's home life, this thing that's been eating at Grover for probably years, um, and that has affected his ability to be a searcher. So there's so much, you know, tenderness and vulnerability that we see here in this, you know, dank truck. <laughs> dank bad, not dank good. <laughs> I'm using what the kids use, right? And yeah, it's just one of those things that like you need these breaths in prose and in writing where these moments where the characters actually need to see what happens when they come together and stuff like that or what's actually left when they don't have gods attacking them and wild things happening to them. What is their friendship like in these quiet moments? And I love this scene for that. Mm-hmm. So Grover says, oh, it's just my luck. I'm an awful satyr and I find the two strongest half-bloods. And Percy turns this around as a compliment and he says, it's your big heart that allowed you to find Talia and me. And he says, you are a natural searcher and that is why you will be the one to find Pan. And Grover lets out a big sigh, which they first think is a sigh of relief, but then they realize as the sigh then turns into him snoring, He's asleep. And Percy and Annabeth marvel at his ability to just fall asleep immediately, which I am very fortunate to have this gift as well. I'm pretty good at falling asleep pretty quickly, whether it's in bed or on a plane. I've always joked that if I was an X-Man, I would be the fall asleep on the Quinjet quickly boy. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could relate. I have delved deep into YouTube's ASMR things because it used to take me two to three hours to fall asleep and now I can go to sleep in like 20 minutes. Oh no. (laughs) So Annabeth is fiddling with her necklace and Percy asks if the pine tree bead is from her first year and she confirms. Says every August the counselors pick the most important event of the summer and they put it on that year's beads. And then she says I've got Talia's pine tree, a Greek trium. I don't know what that word means. Trireme. It's a ship. Oh. Trireme. Yes. Okay. Uh, Cool. Thank you. A Greek trireme on fire and a centaur in a prom dress. That was a weird summer. Um, that they better the lead. <laughs> that better be one of the spinoff books because I need to know everything about that. Mm-hmm. Percy then asks if the college ring is her dad's and she starts to say none of your business, but then says, yes, it is. Percy says, you don't have to tell me if you don't want to, which I think is a great moment from Percy. I like that this is his instinct for uncomfortable conversations. But Annabeth says, no, I'll talk to you about it. She says, quote, my dad sent it to me folded up in a letter two summers ago. The ring was like his main keepsake from Athena. He wouldn't have gotten through his doctoral program at Harvard without her. That's a long story. Anyway, he said he wanted me to have it. He apologized for being a jerk and he said he loved me and he missed me. He wanted me to come home and live with him. Percy says, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. And Annabeth says, yeah, the problem is I believed him and uh, it didn't work out so she tried to go back for the school year stepmom was exactly the same was horrible to her and monsters attacked them repeatedly they would get into arguments all of the time and she didn't even make it to christmas break before having to call up chiron and head back to camp half-blood Percy says that she shouldn't give up and she should try again, but Annabeth is just completely over it, saying that her dad has chosen who he wants to live with. He's made his decision. So some time passes, and then Percy asks, if the gods do fight, will it be like the Trojan War in terms of sides taken? Will Athena be on the opposite side of Poseidon? And I love it. He's clearly worried about being on opposite sides of Annabeth. It's fantastic. But Annabeth says, I don't know what my mom will do. I just know I'll fight next to you. And Percy asks why. And she goes, because you're my friend, seaweed brain. Any more stupid questions? I love them, even if they're just friends. If they become a romantic couple, whatever it is, I love their dynamic. They are so great together. (laughs) Again, like it's so nice to see how supportive they are of each other. And to them at this point in the story, their friendship seems so obvious, Mm -hmm. which is really sweet. Right. Percy struggles to fall asleep, but he eventually does, and he has a dream, which I immediately, I sat up in my chair when he falls asleep and has a dream, because now we know we're going to get something intense. Yeah. So, it starts with what is normally a recurring dream for Percy. He has to take a standardized test, but he's in a straitjacket. I've never had this recurring dream, but (laughs) I've had the classic, you're taking a final, you've never studied for it kind of thing. I've had this type of dream. Mm -hmm. One thing I learned by reading this is that straitjacket is spelled S-T-R-A-I-T jacket, not... A-I-G-H-T. It's not straight jacket. It's straight jacket. Which uh, this I, is English with Sheeps and Alyssa. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I've just never seen that word written before. I was very confused. So all of the kids are going out to recess, but Percy is stuck taking the test while the teacher questions him, wondering what's taking him so long. And I am feeling this anxiety. I've had this type of dream for sure. Mm-hmm. But then the dream strays from its standard run. 
next to Percy now is Talia, and she's also in a straitjacket. She tries to break free, glares at Percy, and then snaps, Well, seaweed brain, one of us has to get out of here. Interesting. Dream Percy knows that she is right, and he wants to go back to the cavern with the big hole so that he can talk to who he believes is Hades. The jacket melts off, but uh-oh, he falls through the classroom floor, and the teacher's voice becomes cold and evil, echoing from the chasm. It says, Percy Jackson, yes, the exchange went well, I see. And I'm wondering what the exchange was. I don't know if the exchange meant Aries. I don't know if the things Aries gave them. Are those the gifts that we're not going to trust? But I don't think so, because how would Sally know that Aries was going to give them? So I'm still more suspicious of Luke here. But Percy now is back at the cavern. He's above the pit and he hears the voice, but the voice is not doing its normal thing where it's beckoning and calling out to Percy. It's talking to someone else, and it says, and he suspects nothing? And there's another voice, and narrator Percy notes that it's one he almost recognized, and it answers at his shoulder, which I don't know the significance of that, but it being a voice he almost recognized, maybe this is becoming my Ludo Bagman where I thought he was the bad guy in the Goblet of Fire, but it feels like if he has a voice he kind of recognizes, it could be someone he's kind of close with, and Luke certainly fits that bill. Mm -hmm. I'm nervous there. So this voice says, nothing, my lord. He is as ignorant as the rest. So, uh, I don't know. The deep voice, which I will be calling who Percy thinks is Hades, but I don't know if it's Hades. And the new voice, who is maybe Luke, question mark? That's how I'm going to be calling them. Deep voice and new voice. So, new voice asks if it was necessary. Don't know what the it was here. Mm -hmm. And the new voice cites that they could have brought what they stole directly. And deep voice says that new voice has shown their limits and they would have failed if deep voice didn't intervene. Deep Voice then goes on to say that these six months have done much for them. Zeus is angrier. Poseidon played his most desperate card, which they shall use against him. And then Deep Voice says, Shortly you shall have the reward you wish and your revenge. As soon as both items are delivered into my hands. But wait, he is here. So I don't know what both is. I don't know what both items are. Clearly the bolt feels like it would be one. Is the other... Riptide? I hope not, but maybe Ooh, it's a very okay. powerful sword. I, I, like, are they doing all of this to lure Percy into the underworld so that they can try to steal Riptide from him? Mm -hmm. Are they trying to take something else? Like, are they trying to take Annabeth's invisibility hat? I don't know. But when it said both, I figured it was some item that is important. And I don't feel like any of the things they just received. I guess they did just get received Riptide, but it's super important. They just I don't got think double it's the Oreos, though. Oh, damn. That's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> that backpack Ares gave him was really nice. I need it. <laughs> so New Voice is scared, asking if Deep Voice summoned Percy. And Deep Voice says, no, Percy did it of his own volition. And then Deep Voice starts to address Percy, says that if Percy wants to dream of his quest, he shall oblige. So the scene then changes where Percy is now in a vast throne room with his mother in front of a throne of bones, and she is standing arms outstretched in shimmering gold. Percy tries to go to her, but his legs won't move, and then his hands are starting to wither into bones. Skeletons crowd around him, drape him in silk robes. They wreathe his head with chimera-poisoned laurels that burn his head, and then the deep voice laughs and says, Hail to the conquering hero, and then he wakes up. It's heavy stuff. So much that I'm sure will make sense many chapters from now, but mm -hmm. super intense, and again, I feel like it's just giving me more credence to... I think it's Luke. Obviously, with Ares coming up, my initial guess was that I thought it was Ares, just mm -hmm. from a complete swing at knowing nothing, having not met Ares yet. But I don't know. I'm feeling like it could be Luke, but also maybe this could blow up in my face and Luke is just a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack here. Um, well, I will chuck at you. When I first read it, I thought Talia. And then I was just like, oh, when I reread it now, I was like, oh, there's an H in there. Maybe it's Thalia. Mm -hmm. And then reading the audiobooks, he says Thalia, ah! which is a disaster. Um, so who knows? Mm -hmm. Who's correct? The episode in which I admitted to not knowing how to pronounce it has been live and no one has sent me an email saying this nice. is how you pronounce it. <laughs> so either no one knows or it's not no that big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Talia, come on the pod. You can tell me how to pronounce your name. <laughs> 
Hello, and welcome to this episode's lightning brief. First, I'm excited to announce that transcripts for each episode of The New Stolympian will be on the website. So if you go to an individual episode page, underneath the player, there will be a link to a transcript. Kritia, who's done transcriptions for my other podcasts, is also helping out with The New Stolympian, and I will be adding those to the website starting this week. They might take a little bit of time, but rest assured that I will be doing a transcript for every single episode, and they will be available. So if that's something you would like, now you know. And if you know someone who would like that, let them know. Second, we are also working on making some merch for the newest Olympian, so stay tuned for an announcement there. If you follow us on social media, you'll be able to first find out when that is live. If you are a patron, this is not necessarily news to you because I've been hinting at stuff in director's commentaries and bonus episodes, but yes, we will soon have merch. It's not going to be ready for the holiday season, but get ready in early 2022 to see some announcements in regards to the newest Olympian merch. And I mentioned the newest Olympian Patreon. That is where you can get bonus content for supporting the show at the newestolympian.com slash Patreon. And I want to give a shout out to the folks who have joined our Patreon recently. So shout out to Alex and Sarah D, our newest Super God patrons. Shout out to our newest God tier patrons, Petra Hund, Trinity Jester, That Damn Supporter, Kimberly Usselman, Melanie McIntyre, Danny Sean, and Bethan. Shout out to our newest Demigod patrons, Nara Sir Gordon, Laura Bolatino, and Mackenzie Glennon. And lastly, a name correction for Lindsay Blackie and Brave Symphonia. So thank you all for supporting. And also thank you to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you are looking for some other podcasts to listen to, Multitude has a whole bunch. And if you're looking for more podcasts hosted and created by me, well, you would like Horse. Horse is a basketball podcast that I co-host with my buddy Adam Amawala, where we talk about basketball, but just the outside the sport elements of it. So if you already like basketball and you want to hear some goofy stuff, Horse can be for you. If you don't necessarily like sports, but you want people to show you that anyone can like sports, you don't have to be a jock. There's wildly entertaining stuff to follow. There's nerdy stuff to follow. There's so many different ways that you can love basketball. There's no wrong way to love basketball. And Adam and I prove that to you every other Monday on Horse. You can listen to it wherever you find your podcasts. We talk a little bit about the current wild things happening in the NBA and the WNBA, whether that's Twitter beefs or player drama. And then we'll talk about ridiculous stories from basketball history, whether that's about Shaquille O'Neal or Airbud or Zac Efron in High School Musical. You can learn a lot about the sport and the history of the sport and why it's just fun to watch, even if you don't know how the sport works, by listening to Horse. Again, search Horse wherever you get your podcasts or go to our website, horsehoops.com. And before we wrap up here, you're going to hear some words from sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a podcaster full-time. Some of the ads will be read by me. Some of them won't. The ones that aren't read by me are locally inserted. So if you live in Antarctica, don't be surprised if you hear an Antarctican ad. But once those are complete, we will get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, aka the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Grover says that the truck stopped. The reason Percy is woken up could be the dream, but also Grover is shaking him awake. And Grover thinks that the mortals are going to come in to check on the animals. So Annabeth says, we got to hide. The workers come in and they are absolute jerks to the animals. They say to the zebra that they are letting the zebra off next and then asks if the zebra likes magic shows because the zebra is going to get sawed in half. Which like normally in a magic show that is fake, but the way this was written, it feels like the zebra is legitimately going to be sawed in half. This guy also has a southern accent in the audiobooks. That feels more on brand. So the zebra then looks at Percy, and even though there's no sound, Percy can clearly hear it say, free me, Lord, please. And I wrote in my notes, does a zebra 
count as a horse? Is this why? And then funnily enough, two sentences later, Percy wonders the same thing. (laughs) So Annabeth uses her invisibility hat to cause a distraction to get the mortals outside of the back of the truck. Grover explains that the lion told him that these people are actually animal smugglers. Makes sense. Yeah. Then Percy wonders, how can I hear the zebra? Maybe it's close enough to a horse. And the zebra tells Percy to open up the cage and that they will be fine after that. So Percy does. The zebra then leaps into the street when the mortals return and open up the back of the truck. The team looks out and when they do, they see that they are in Vegas. So the mortals start chasing after the zebra. The police start chasing after the mortals because they don't have a permit. So the team then frees the other animals and Percy asks, are the animals going to be okay? And Grover says yes because he's put a satyr's sanctuary on them and they will find whatever they need, food, shelter, water, until they find a safe place to live. And Percy, as I asked, Mm -hmm. can you do that for us? And Grover (laughs) says it only works on wild animals. And then Annabeth, with a great reply, says, so it would only affect Percy, which, gosh, fantastic. (laughs) What a great dig. Perfect. So the team passes all the classic Vegas staples. I was upset that they didn't literally take the zebra into town. (laughs) I was imagining that they would be riding a zebra, but that's fine. So they pass all the Vegas landmarks and then they arrive at a dead end. And it's the entrance to the Lotus Hotel and Casino. And they are greeted by someone that even a highly suspicious Percy feels like is just a dude. And every time they meet someone, I'm suspicious. But Percy really feels like this guy isn't suspicious, which made me much more suspicious. Oh, yeah. I mean, the passage here, it's when it gives the description of the Lotus Hotel, it's like, no one was going in or out, but the glittering chrome doors were open, spilling out air conditioning that smelled like flowers. Lotus Blossom, maybe. And this guy, <laughs> this poor dude, just like, hey, kids, you look tired. You want to come in and sit down? And it's like, that seems trustworthy. <laughs> that should have been the biggest red flag is that person at a casino wants kids to come in. Yeah. That should have been the biggest, <laughs> biggest red flag. Yeah, it was much more pleasant in the audiobooks. But when I'm reading it back, my notes, it's just like, hey, kids, yeah. like it's not mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Percy does note that the guy sounds very nice yeah. and genuinely happy to yeah. see them, which is making him feel less suspicious. So when they go inside, it is super nice. There's a giant water slide. There's a rock climbing wall. There's indoor bungee jumping. There's virtual reality suits. There's video games. There's everything. I feel like super nice is like lowballing. <laughs> it is. If I'm be honest. Human perfection for a 12-year-old. <laughs> so there is a bellhop as well that comes up to them, gives them a key to a room that is on the top floor, room 4001. And he says it's all taken care of. And he can get them anything they want. And this is where I was full-fledged, okay, get out of here. This is terrible. I was wondering, is this a mirage? Because they're in the desert. This is just bad news bears. That is a hotel name in Vegas as well. Of (laughs) course. So the bellhop also gives them unlimited game cards, which if you've ever been to a Dave & Buster's or something else, unlimited money at one of those places recipe for a great time. So they go to the room and it is also a 12-year-old paradise. There is candy, soda, chips, a big TV, high-speed internet, as the book says, which is very (laughs) 2005, a hot tub, and then also skeet shooting that shoots clay pigeons off the balcony that you can just shoot into the city, which feels highly illegal. And then Percy also says, I didn't see how that could be legal, but I thought it was pretty cool. (laughs) So there are clothes in the closet that fit Percy perfectly. He finds this strange. I mean, yes, you should find this strange. This is an enormous red flag. Get out of here. Percy showers, he eats and drinks, and he thinks of how he should tell Grover and Annabeth about his dream, but decides to wait. Annabeth turns on National Geographic on the TV, and Percy thinks that's whack. Says, with all of these channels, you pick National Geographic, and Annabeth says, it's interesting. And I love her confidence. She is not shaken in what she thinks is cool, and I like that she doesn't back down. Mm -hmm. Grover says that he loves this place, and then the narrator says, quote, without his even realizing it, the wings sprouted out of his shoes and lifted him a foot off off the ground, then back down again. And because I'm suspicious of these shoes and Luke, I didn't like this because he didn't say Maya. So I didn't like the shoes working here. Ultimately, we don't learn, at least in this chapter, if Luke or whoever Luke maybe is working with, if he really is guilty, has anything to do with the casino. But this was a bit of a red flag for me. I didn't enjoy that the shoes just kind of happened to work without being told to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, Grover is just so elated as well, though. Right. So it's one of those things that, like, you just don't really think about it, and it Mm -hmm. just kind of does what you want it to do. I feel like there might also be, like, other 
artifacts that we see that are just kind of secondary as well. Yeah, it could be just a cute moment and I could be looking way too into this because I have my suspicion blinders on and I'm over-interpreting. Yeah, my Bagman blinders. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just over-analyzing every single sentence at this point because I'm trying to figure out who's behind all this. Mm -hmm. So this could be a completely innocent line that I am just reading far too much into. Annabeth asks, what now? Sleep? But Grover and Percy look at each other, grin, hold up their Lotus Cash cards, and Percy says, playtime. Which, of course, then the CSI Miami (laughs) comes in at the end. Oh, man. So then narrator Percy says, quote, I couldn't remember the last time I had so much fun. I came from a relatively poor family. Our idea of a splurge was eating out at Burger King and renting a video, a five-star Vegas hotel. Forget it. And as much as I wanted Percy to get out of here, I do like that he's having fun. I do Mm -hmm. appreciate this. This is a nice thing, but also get out. (laughs) Yeah. Again, (sighs) one of those like breaths in the story that like they're able to relax even just a little bit before Mm -hmm. diving off to whatever they're about to do. Yes, literally diving off because Percy bungee jumps a bunch (laughs) and then Grover plays a lot of games, especially reverse deer hunter where the deer hunt the, as the book says, rednecks. And I think this is like an actual video game. I feel like I've at least heard of this before. It sounds familiar or it's been spoofed on The Simpsons. I don't know which. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it sounded familiar, so it's either a real thing, but if it's not, shout out to Uncle Rick because that's a fantastic video game. And then Annabeth, because she's a nerd, does trivia games and other Brainiac stuff, as Percy says, including basically a 3D virtual reality SimCity, which sounded super cool. That sounds sick. Love that, especially because she wants to be an architect. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Percy then notices something is off. There is a kid near Percy who is dressed in way too vintage clothes. And Percy also describes his hair as being permed and gelled, quote, like a New Jersey girl's on homecoming night. Now, Alyssa Esteban is resident yes. New Jersey girl who went to homecoming. Yep. Did you perm and gel your hair? <laughs> Mind you, when I was in high school, this was like 2006 to 2010, I was mm-hmm. in high school. Is this accurate? A little bit. Am I offended? Not really, but it is very funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there had to have at least been one person at Homecoming that did do that. Yeah. Someone incredibly New Jersey. I feel like it definitely dates the time that the book was written to say, like, gelled like a New Jersey girl's on Homecoming night. I feel like that dates the Percy Jackson series, but it's fine. I'm not attacked by it. It's fine. I'm I, 30. It's fine. Yeah. I appreciated it. He's got to have some sort of tie to New Jersey. You don't make this joke unless you, like, know someone from New Jersey. This is a oh, very yeah. specific... Because this is before... Yeah, this is before... Jersey Shore came out. Is Jer- this around the time of Jersey Shore? Or? It would have been just before because I moved to Texas from New Jersey in 2006 and mm. Jersey Shore came out in 2006, 2007. Okay. I was in Seaside Park, New Jersey when they filmed it. So they filmed it in Seaside oh. Heights. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I had friends in Seaside Park. We would stay at their house on the weekends, family friends of my parents. And we would drive by this house that had this big fence around it, blocking anyone from seeing in. Kind of like when you're in Disney and they're doing construction or yeah. if you're in a city where they're doing construction and they're saying, you know, pardon our dust. They had that, but it said... Filming an upcoming MTV show. And my friends and I, born and raised in New Jersey, (laughs) thought, what MTV reality show are they filming in Seaside Heights, New Jersey? And then I moved to Texas and the show came out and everyone knew me as the guy from New Jersey. And then everyone made fun of me and let the record show no one in the cast of Jersey Shore is from New Jersey. Everyone's from Staten Island. They're from Delaware, Connecticut, Staten. No one is actually from New Jersey. So if you are watching Jersey Shore and you think the people are bad... Yes, they are not from New Jersey. But if you're looking at the beach and the boardwalk and you think that's nice, yes, Seaside Heights is a great boardwalk. There's also really lovely, like if you go down, I think a little south or a little north, there's uh, Island Beach State Park. Should Mm -hmm. I tell people about this internationally? Probably not, but it's a great little secret. Um, (laughs) Great place to be. Yes. Good beaches. I will say, if you're ever in New Jersey, go to a beach. My soft spot is for Seaside Park. It is all of the fun of Seaside Heights, but it has better waves if you're trying to surf or boogie board or anything like that. Mm. And also, it's less touristy, so good stuff. So Percy notices something is off with this person. And the biggest red flag to Percy is that at one point, this kid says groovy when they are saying something positive about one of the games. And Percy later on says that something is sick because this book came out in 2005 and the kid is confused. So Percy asks the kid, what is your name? And he says, Darren. But Darren is spelled D-A-R. 
D-A-R-R-I-N. Percy, get the hell out of there. <laughs> Darren, spelled like that? Leave. Of anything that you have seen in this entire casino, D-A-R-R-I-N, get out. Leave right now. <laughs> is this a name? Does somebody have this name? <laughs> Apologies to anyone listening if your name is Darren, spelled D-A-R-R-I-N. But I have never seen Darren spelled that way. I always <laughs> think it is D-A-R-R-E-N. Darren Chris spells his name that way. Yeah. Right? But Darren? No way. <laughs> Leave. So then Percy asks Darren, what year is it? And he has to think a bit. And he says, 1977. So that's a bad sign. Yeah. Percy then asks other people what year it is. Someone tells him it's 1985. Someone says it's 1993. And... This is making it seem like people get trapped here and then they don't age, which I guess is nice, but still whack. Yeah. Good years for vintages, probably. Terrible years. <laughs> uh, terrible years to be trapped uh, in somewhere where you don't age. For sure. So Percy then starts to try to snap out of this when he tries to think more about, wait, how long have I been here? And mm -hmm. his memory is kind of fuzzy. He can't really think about how long it's been. Also can't really remember why they are here. Has a brief moment where he forgets his mom's name, but yeah. thankfully that does not last very long. So I am just screaming at my book. I'm standing at this point reading saying, get out of here. Percy rushes to Annabeth to convince her to leave with him. She doesn't want to leave. She's still in a trance. Percy then just says spiders to snap her out of it, which is rude, but also desperate times call for desperate measures. Right. They go to get Grover. Grover's still playing that game. He's saying, die, human, die, silly, polluting, <laughs> nasty person. And then he points the gun at Percy and his face doesn't change as if he thinks Percy is also part of the game. So Percy and Annabeth just look at each other and grab him and drag him out of there. Mm -hmm. So as they're about to leave, the bellhop asks if they are ready for their platinum cards. And Percy says, no thanks. And the bellhop says, oh, it's a shame. We just added an entire new floor exclusively for our platinum card members. And Percy genuinely feels sad. He yeah. genuinely feels like this guy would be heartbroken, but he cannot do it. He wants a card, but he knows if he takes one, it's just going to be bad news. Grover tries to get the card. Annabeth yanks his arm away and says, no thanks. As they get closer to the exit door, the smell of food and the sound of games just grows stronger and stronger. Percy then thinks of their nice bed in their nice room. Maybe they could stay just one night, but then he realizes, no, we can't do this. They bust through the door. They go outside. They run down the sidewalk. And it feels like the afternoon, about the same time of day when they entered, but something is off. The weather is completely different. My first thought here, and it's funny that I thought this was maybe the worst case scenario, was, oh, is it exactly one day later? But uh, it's a lot worse. So it's really stormy with heat lightning flashing in the desert. So clearly the gods are upset. Mm -hmm. Percy finds a newspaper. He reads the year first and narrator Percy just says it was the same as it was when we entered, which I think is a very convenient way to not precisely date this series, which yeah. I think is smart because there haven't really been any moments where it feels particularly like it's 2005. Right. Aside from words that have been used, the yeah. particular language, lingo, etc., and I think this was a shortcoming of Harry Potter where they set it in the 90s and then it never felt like the 90s except for the one time Dudley got a PlayStation. And right. <laughs> everything else, it just felt like it could be any time at all. So I think that's a smart move to not date it. So Percy just says it's the same year. But then Percy reads the date and it's June 20th. So they were in there for five days, which is very bad. And they only have one day left before the solstice. Yep. So the deadline is rapidly approaching. And uh, that's the end of chapter 16 and the end of this episode of The New Solomon. <laughs> yeah. So this was a lot like they were only in there for a couple of hours. Like, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? And I did actually look up lotus plants and what turns out to be a group of people called the lotus eaters in Greek mythology. There's only one specific excerpt from the Odyssey by Homer, which talks about the Lotus Eaters. And the translation I have is from Robert Fagel's from 1996. And it's a short passage or verse from Book Nine of the Odyssey. And parts of it say, Our squadron reached the land of the Lotus Eaters, people who eat the lotus, mellow fruit, and flower. Lotus Eaters who had no notion of killing my companions. Not at all. They simply gave them the lotus to taste instead. Any crewmen who ate the lotus, the honey-sweet fruit, lost all desire to send a message back, much less return. Their only wish, to linger there with lotus eaters, grazing on lotus, all memory of the journey home dissolved forever. Which is, 
you know, when we first see Percy upstairs in room 4001, he's starting to just kind of forget, like, why are we here? I have something to tell them, but, you know, it doesn't really seem that important. Mm -hmm. But full blown with uh, Grover and Annabeth later, they just don't want to leave and they've lost all sense of their purpose on this journey and on this quest. So it's really cool to see, like, how just from this brief passage that was only mentioned in one book one time that it actually found its way here into the story. So I love that the mythology can come into play here. Yeah, I was very confused that there wasn't any sort of explanation. I don't know if in the next chapter they talk about it or anything, Mm because I've not read the next chapter yet. So I'm not sure if they will point this out. I think that's really cool to know all of that because, yeah, my initial thought was, this has to be some sort of trap or some sort of God put this, you know, is some other God trying to hinder his journey. But if it's just that and it just happens to be this thing that doesn't necessarily have a particular purpose because it is affecting so many other people, that mm-hmm. makes sense in that it is not a targeted thing to stop Percy from his quest. It is just an evil thing that exists in notoriously evil city, Las Vegas. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to know. And yeah. and I guess anyone in tune with Greek mythology would see Lotus and then right away think, <laughs> oh, no. And that's what I think is fun about me not knowing a lot of Greek mythology stuff is that when it said Lotus, I just thought, yeah, that sounds like a casino name. Sure. I didn't think, <laughs> oh, but I'm sure that is extra fun for folks who did know. They would just right off the bat know, ooh, ooh, better get out of there. Ooh, you got to leave. Yeah. It's always really cool to, like, as I said, see these mythologies play out in a way that's appropriate for the series and for the characters and the lore of the Percy Jackson universe. Totally. Yeah. Well, this was so much fun. This was a blast and a half. Thank you for coming on the show to cover this chapter with me. If people want to find you doing stuff, where can they do so? Yeah, absolutely. So if you love the Percy Jackson series, if you love the newest Olympian, um, I would assume so you're listening to the pod. Uh, <laughs> there's there's got to be some hate <laughs> listeners out there, but they probably turned it off by now. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, you're on chapter 16. I think it's been a while. You might like it. You'd be um, surprised. <laughs> people in my other shows will say that they've listened to like 50 episodes or something and then leave you. a one-star review. <laughs> Well, if you like the Percy Jackson series and you like stories that incorporate lore, mythology, uh, culture, history, if you love things like ensemble series and you like prophetic dreams, you will love The Witcher and Breakfast in Beauclair. Breakfast in Beauclair is a global Witcher podcast in which I bring on new guests from all around the world. Uh, If you basically imagine having Every episode with a different Dottie James from a different country. <laughs> that is the vibe on Breakfast in Beauclair. Um, so lucky to have all these listeners on the podcast. And you can join us for The Witcher books, chapter by chapter, The Witcher Netflix series, episode by episode, and everything that goes along with that series. And you can find that Witcher podcast at Breakfast in Beauclair across the internet. I'm also incredibly proud to be executive producing an audio fiction show through a group called Lengthy Tangent, uh, which is about 40 different voice actors who are all coming together to make a show. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. So keep in touch with that. And we're excited to invite you into the city of Peculiar Springs. And uh, yeah, listen to Modern Muck because I did research on that. So <laughs> Very intense research done for Modern Muck Raker by Alyssa. Wonderful stuff. I knew she would rise to the occasion and she did with <laughs> very long Google Docs that helped us make very good jokes. <laughs> I am so appreciative of the fact that I was once smart as a child one time and you're still giving me opportunities <laughs> from that 15 years <laughs> later, 18 years later. Look, we um, put in a lot of work in St. Gregory the Great Catholic School. <laughs> we dealt with the Miss Woodmans of the world and we were in Mrs. Rice's advanced math program. (laughs) Like we put in the work (laughs) to get our various report cards and it's shaped us into the nerds that we are today. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there is one thing though that I wanted to say to you because just thank you so much for all your shows and you are actually the reason that I got into podcasting. For real? A hundred percent. Oh, that's so cool. And I saw the work that you were doing for Potterless, the community that you were building and I just finished the Witcher books and I was like, man, that'd be so awesome to like work on that for that community. Hmm. So that's 100% Mike Schubert's fault that I'm now in podcasting. <laughs> and podcasting and subsequently voice acting have just genuinely changed my life. Yes. So thank you so much for that. No in, problem. Directly and indirectly. No. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for being a good friend throughout all these years. Many, it's been like 30, it's, 25 it, years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like our, I think our friendship graduated college now. Like our, it's, yeah. our friendship can rent, can almost rent a car. No, Is our it? friendship can rent a car. We yeah. met when we were 
in kindergarten. Five so years five old. Five years old. And we're also only like, what, 12 days apart? Right. Because like, you were born on the 29th. 29th and yeah, and you're the 17th. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> Time flies uh, in life. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you again for being God listeners. Thanks for listening. And until we cover another chapter, I'll see you later. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of The New Stolympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Kampamanas and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to learn more about the show, such as what chapters we're covering in future episodes, you can go to thenewestolympian.com. If you want to support the show, you can go to thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. You'll get a bunch of bonus content for supporting us on Patreon. And if you want to find us on social media, we're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And also, we are at reddit.com slash r slash the Olympian. Speaking of that Patreon, I want to give a shout out to our producer level patrons Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Natanya Page, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vikstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bayfong, Moo Moo Productions, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Griffin Dork, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Minka Dreesen, Can't I See We Brain, Matt Barger, Peter Johnson the Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Mooney B, Bony Pony, Harlan Christ, Heather McMillan, Casey Canales, Polly Burridge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Aiden Lippold, Josh Sayer, Percy Blue, Josh Wilkie, Martin Anvik, Abby Ryan, Josh Clements, Angela MF, Mary Baumgartner, Shannon Yvonne Aguilar, Wise Girl, Alpacas Are Hope, Finn TZ, Ribbon Monstrosity, Samantha McNamara, Tate Sasson, Emil Oscar Thomason, Roxas1912, and Rafaela. And if you want to help the show out in a non-monetary way, spreading it via word of mouth is huge. Telling someone about it directly, posting about it on social media, all these things really help, and I would appreciate it very much if you decide to do any of those things. But above all else, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you listen to our next episode, and until then, I'll see you later! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.